The Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xe plug-in hybrid is built for the best of both worlds. For the city buzz, for the call of the wild, for finding solitude, for sharing memories, for day trips, and for far-roaming adventures. Because with gas and electric capability, the Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xe inspires you to explore more, to explore it all. Tap the banner to learn more. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. CeraVe facial moisturizers with SPF protect skin against damaging UV rays and continuously deliver three essential ceramides to help restore skin's protective barrier so it can lock in moisture. Non-greasy, fragrance-free, and won't clog pores? With CeraVe, skin feels hydrated and looks healthy all day. CeraVe facial moisturizers with SPF from the number one dermatologist recommended facial moisturizer brand. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast with me, Catherine Moore. Join me for the next six weeks for our series on how to make 2022 your best year on the bike yet. We've got a great array of topics from trying something new to joining a cycling club or even planning your own cycling adventure. And we'll be joined by both some familiar voices from Bike Radar, as well as some amazing guests from across the cycling world. You might think that the time for goal setting and resolutions passed with January the 1st, but actually coming into the spring can be a really great time to pick a goal, whether that's something for the year ahead or just the next few months. We're kicking off our new six-part series, helping you to make 2022 your best year on the bike by chatting all things goal setting and then how to achieve them with mountain biker and life coach Joe Lee, Rodi Shu Islam and our very own Bike Radar video manager Felix Smith. Joe Lee is, in her own words, a coach, adventurer, mountain biker, runner, stand-up paddleboarder, wild swimmer, author and mum. After years in the corporate sphere in people-focused roles, Jo's launched her own life coaching business, Infinite Pathways, alongside a part-time role as COO for This Mum Runs. I met Jo last year when she was invited to our Women in the Cycling Industry get-together in the Forest of Dean, which just so happens to be one of her favourite local mountain biking spots. And she was coaching us through some really thought-provoking exercises around goals that might seem really far beyond us, and then breaking them down into exactly how we could get there. Jo focuses her coaching around helping people, especially women, to become more adventurous. So I'm really looking forward to hearing exactly how she does that and also how her work affects her own riding too. 
Thanks for joining us at Bike Radar, Joe. It's great to have you here in the studio with us as well. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me and I'm really excited. So the last I saw of you was on Instagram at Rampwell Cardiff, getting some really sick air on your jump bike. Is there any limit to your talents? Yeah, 100%. If you saw the amount of air, the if you actually measured that in centimetres, it was around 20 centimetres. But no, it's um, I'm trying to push myself into things that are very uncomfortable for me. And the skate park is uncomfortable on so many different levels that that's a real, that's a massive thing for me to try that at the moment. So why are you doing this? Why are you pushing yourself into these things that feel uncomfortable for you? I think it's um as you get older, and I'm 41 now, you kind of realise the things that you want and that you need in life. And you kind of have a little bit less of that stuff that you had maybe in your 20s or 30s. It's around, oh, God, I don't want to look stupid in front of people or, you know, how cool am I? I'm not cool. I'm a mum now. I can just be uncool. And that's really a lovely release, actually, for me. So for me, I ride with my partner, Ollie, who's amazing on a bike, ridiculously amazing, and my son, who's 10, who is now catching up with me. (laughs) And I kind of want to, for several things, I want to show that I can do things um, still with my body at 41. But also, I want to be able to keep up with them when we're out on the trails. So pushing myself into these things like the skate park, which helps you with your flow on the trails, is really important to me so that I can keep up with them. But it's also a little bit about Women who are in their 40s can go in the skate park. It's okay. And I want to be able to role model that for my son as well. So, yeah, multiple different reasons. Yeah, that's really cool. And, and it just looks like so much fun oh as well. God. it's Once you get in there and you're not sat there in the mum pit watching them all instead of actually being on your bike, it's so much fun and everyone's really welcoming. You kind of get in there, don't you? You see all these cool people and they look super sick and rad and you're like, I can never be in there. But it's super fun and it's super safe and everyone helps you. Everyone kind of encourages you along. So, yeah, I, I love it in there now. It's my favourite place. Sounds like one to add to the list for this year. Definitely, definitely. So that leads us quite nicely on to goals. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure this is something that you work through a lot with people in your coaching business. So when it comes to picking a goal, if the listeners are thinking about something for 2022, I know we're already well into February, but Mm. perhaps we've got through that hibernation, hibernation stage. Where do you even start? Do you have any golden rules for thinking about how to pick a goal? Yeah, definitely. I think it's really good to step back um, because we often start the new year and we've got all of that stuff from the previous year still in our minds. And then we lump a load of stuff on top of it as well and think, oh, yeah, I really want to try this and I want to do that. So actually, I kind of step back and I always um, have a look back over my diary or my photos in my phone every year at the start of the year. And I look at things that I've enjoyed in the last year or two. And in fact, this year I did three years because COVID has scuppered the last two, hasn't it really? Had a look at everything that I've enjoyed or that I've got energy from or that I've found really um, satisfying in life. And I kind of note those things down and I note any themes and those will normally fall into, you know, it's bikes, it's whatever, it's um, work goals. And then I start to think, actually, which parts of those would I like to push myself on a little bit more and why? And that's the important bit, I think, Catherine, is that why? Why are you motivated to do this? Is it because everyone else is doing it or is it something that's going to give you joy and satisfaction and you're going to feel progression? So that's the way I always do it. I do a bit of a retrospective, a look back um, at what, what has satisfied me, as it were, in the last couple of years and use that to help guide me. I think that's something that we see more and more of with the advent of social media and top nine or whatever it is at Christmas time, everyone reflecting about their highlights on the year. And that reflection, I think it's so easy to miss, isn't it? Absolutely. We're we're in a fast paced society now, aren't we? And culturally, we want more, more, more. Um, And that's okay. But sometimes it's understanding what you want more of for you 
rather than what the cultural expectation of you is. So I think looking back over your own moments and, and defining them as joyful or giving you energy is a really useful way of picking through all of that busyness that we experience nowadays. Mm. So why would you even think about setting a goal in the first place? Like, what's the point? That's a really, really good question. I think for some people, it is around having a focus and allowing them to motivate themselves to get out each day. So I know for me, if I haven't got, I know this is going to make me sound really amazing, but it's really not. I've got an ultra marathon in um, June. So I'm running the Cotswold Way, which is 100 kilometres. I say run, possibly limp most of it, I would suggest. But if I haven't got that, I'm not going to go out running three or four times a week. And I love running and I know it's brilliant for my mental health. But just knowing something's good for you isn't enough for some people, I think. So having that goal and that focus in mind allows you to do things that you enjoy. Um, but I also think people like, we as humans, we like to achieve, don't we? And actually, our education system lends itself to that. It's about achievement, isn't it? It's the next thing. It's the test. It's the result. And I think there's something about that with people as well. They enjoy that fulfillment of having achieved something. Yeah, I think that's a huge factor of it. And certainly something that motivates me, mm. I've found in the past, and just like you say, especially with a physical sport like cycling or mountain mm. biking, just knowing what your body's capable of. And I think it's you can so often push yourself so much further than you think you'd even Absolutely. be capable of. Absolutely. And you, see, you look at some of these people like um, Jasmine Parrish, she's an ultra runner and she ran um, a, a race and smashed the world record time by eight hours and beat or everybody, male, female, gender aside. And she was a mum of a one-year-old at the time. And she just said, I just never knew that my body could do it until I tried to push the limits. And it's quite interesting, that thought about pushing your limits. And you're right, the physicality is such a joyful thing, isn't it, when you pushed it and you know that you've worked really hard. But it's knowing how to do that kind of safely and within your own boundaries so that you don't put yourself off because you can go too far, can't you, sometimes? Oh, yeah. You can throw yourself down GBU over those jumps and you're not coming out alive <laughs> if you're not careful. So I think it's, um, yeah, it's pushing yourself but within like a really comfortable way. Mm. And I think, again, in the context of mountain biking and cycling, it's not only the physical side. There's so much around the mental side that we perhaps guilty of not really addressing. Yeah, I agree. And I think um, some of the people that I coach, actually, in fact, the person that I coached this morning was talking about that's their place where they are safe mentally when they're on their bike because actually work's really stressful for them. They've got all these family issues. They get on the bike and me mental health-wise, everything just kind of disappears and they're focusing on getting around the next turn or over the next jump. And I think it's vital for us to be outdoors in nature and pushing ourselves um, I also think there's something about the camaraderie of mountain biking. It's like no other sport. There's something about there's old and young people. There's, you know, every different walk of life, mountain bike. And there's something about that connection, that human connection that's really good for your mental health as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's um, that's certainly a big part of it for me as well, the socialising. And you're always meeting somebody new in the woods, whether it's like a little 12-year-old who's yeah. uh, out for the first time and you're sort of coaching on and. I think it's slightly different from road cycling in the way that all different abilities can ride together. I ride with my boyfriend quite a lot and a lot of his friends and a lot of my girlfriends in Bristol that are super good riders. But they don't mind if I come along and they'll like coach me along through stuff and I'll maybe take a few snaps or videos of them doing amazing things that are far beyond me. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's you're not going to get drops or 
No, exactly well that. And, and I think road biking is a really friendly sport, but you're out on a journey, aren't you? You're going from A to B. Whereas with mountain biking, you're sessioning and you're practicing things with your friends and you're having a giggle and you're all meeting up for cake afterwards. And it's that, I think it is that something about that repeatability that really helps people learn and progress in mountain biking really mm-hmm. quickly. And that's why goals are so lovely to have because they can be so small in mountain biking, can't they? But you still feel like a superhero at the end of it because you can repeat and repeat and repeat and get it done in a day. It's a lovely thing whereas yeah road cycling is more about a you're going somewhere yeah for me anyway I'd say the goals that I've had around road cycling in previous years have tended to be I'd love to do this event yeah, or okay. I'd love to do this tour which is you know x th- not thousand hundred kilometers long <laughs> I was gonna say wow Catherine fair play <laughs> um Whereas I picked up mountain biking in the last couple of years Mm. and one of the things I get really hooked on is that progression because especially when you're just starting out, you can go out for a ride one day and, you you know, you see a feature that really scares you or maybe you're not quite ready for that and then the next ride you might have conquered it and it's that sense of achievement, I think, even though they're really small steps that that really has got me hooked. I'll I'll share my, um, my goal for 2022 which I'm procrastinating on a little bit now. Mm. It's to get round, get down a whole run of route manoeuvres at Bike Park Wales nice. in one smooth go. <laughs> With no tapping of the feet. Well, no getting off and walking down the, the rock slabs and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I've, it's, it's really fun. For anybody who's ridden it, they'll probably be nodding along, but it's a really fun, routy, pretty tech. It's not terribly steep, but there are a few rock drops at the end. Um it's sort of one of the harder red-rated trails at Bike Park Wales. Mm. And I've mostly been riding a downcountry bike, which is my excuse for not tackling all of those Very valid, drops. very valid, <laughs> yeah. And I've got an exciting long-term test bike on the way that's got a lot oh, more travel. Oh, amazing. So I'm procrastinating doing it until I get that bike. Okay, and that's allowed. And in my mind, that's the thing that's going to allow me to have the confidence to tackle it. And that is a brilliant way of thinking about it because at the moment you've got a real barrier, haven't you? There's a barrier to you don't quite trust the bike that you're on. Mm. And that becomes a fear then, doesn't it? So to overcome that fear, absolutely put something in place to repair that. Borrow somebody else's bike or get a rental or whatever, you you know, or be lucky enough to be given one. That's marvellous. So, yeah, that's a really good way of, like, breaking it down. Identify that fear and then find a way around it for sure. Can I ask you the question of why you want to, you've set yourself that goal? I set myself that goal because it's part of the progression for me mm-hmm. in terms of getting better on a mountain bike and getting more confident. It's something that I know is beyond me. Yeah. Like with the rock steps at the bottom, it's really strange. I can ride one and then the next one's a bit bigger, so I hop off and hobble down that, which is a bit embarrassing. But fine, it's all part of progression. And then I ride the next one and then I have to skip the next one. So it's like on off, on off. Yeah. Um, I'd love to just be able to ride that fluidly. It would give me a lot of confidence. Mm -hmm. It would be a big step up from where I'm at right now. So I just think that sense of achievement and sort of a... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah. For me. And building that confidence is a massive thing for so many people, isn't it? Especially in mountain biking, because it can really hurt when you get it wrong. Yeah. Uh, and it can really knock your confidence for a long period of time. So, yeah, that's amazing to know that it's a, around confidence. It's exactly the same for me. So my my goal in 2022 is around being able to jump properly. I can do it. I can absolutely do it. It's 100% in my head. Physically, I know how to do it. I've done it before, but it's that fear. And for me, actually, it is a bit about looking stupid in front of other people. Mm-hmm. I don't want to look daft because, you know, I've got a child and my other half's really good at mountain biking, <laughs> so I probably look, shouldn't look stupid. But I, I love that feeling of freedom that you get when you get flow on a trail or you uh, nail a jump and you're not casing it 
I nearly swore, they're not casing it at all. Um, it feels amazing, doesn't it? And I love that feeling of freedom and flow. It's it's kind of takes you back to your childhood again, doesn't it? Yeah. A lot of elements of mountain biking. So yeah, for me, that's my goal this year. Amazing. So what are you doing to achieve that? Well, so skate park one, because um, some of the small jumps in there give you confidence. So that's step one. So I kind of broke it down actually into these small steps. So my goal is to be able to get some decent airtime. And I can't clarify that in centimetres or <laughs> distance or whatever. Um, so skate park's one. Two, I've booked on to an airtime course. Oh, with, I um, did that one. Did you? It's brilliant. Amazing. Yeah, so Rachel's I've, great. I've booked onto Rachel's course in April with Pro Ride, which is awesome. Um, and then I'm just being gentle with myself because actually um, sometimes when you goal set, you can be really hard on yourself and actually it doesn't become fun. Yeah. Life's too short for that. I want this to be fun. So hence the skate park. It's fun. Hence going out with Rachel. She's brilliant. It will be fun. So yeah, I'm trying to be a bit gentle with myself as well, which I know isn't always the way if you're a professional athlete, it's different with mm. those goals. You kind of have to be a bit hard on yourself. But I think for your average Joe like me, it's good to be gentle sometimes because you're going to love it then and you're going to enjoy it and build confidence. Yeah, definitely. And I think with something like jumping as well, you have to sort of take it in small chunks because I've found when I've been trying to learn, you you get tired after a little while. And if you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, there reaches a point where you might progress, but then actually things start going backwards because... You're mentally tired, you're physically tired. Yeah. And that's especially where with something that might have higher consequences if it doesn't go right. <laughs> Thank <laughs> probably, you for reminding me. That. <laughs> probably a good time to stop. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. But yeah, that repetition is quite that's the fundamentals of learning, is just repeating over and over again. But you're right, that can become tiring. So yeah, gentle in that way as well. But I think for when I look at professional athletes and they are sessioning things over and over and over again and the physicality of that must bring them so much joy but must be exhausting as well mentally and physically yeah so I think there's something around when you set goals protecting yourself as well against those physical and mental elements of it because they yeah they could be the end of you if you're not careful crikey yeah I know (laughs) really could so we've both obviously got very clear ideas about what we want to achieve on bikes this year but what about if somebody's listening and they're thinking well they can't really think of a goal and they're lacking inspiration Mm -hmm. where would you suggest looking yeah okay so I guess um sometimes it's really uh, mountain biking has a huge community doesn't it so I think sometimes it's good looking around you and thinking oh that person can do that and maybe I fancy a go at that but I also think it's good to look inward as well as outward so if you look inward and think about those things that really give you joy maybe it's a really fast flowy blue and the corners are amazing and you feel like a superhero as you go down it or maybe it's some really techie stuff on a red that you want to achieve or maybe it's distance maybe it's um maybe it's touring maybe it's something like that but I think look inside you and really question yourself is what gives you joy and what makes you smile because it won't necessarily be what is fit for everybody else Mm. so really sit down and think about yourself rather than culturally what everyone else is doing because everyone wants to jump don't they everyone wants to do this and the other but actually think about what it is that makes you smile and go for a goal that's related to that I would say I think there's this culture of faster stronger fitter like everything has to be more and better and it's not always the right thing for us individually Mm -hmm. like Maybe your goal might orientate around joining a cycling club or getting involved with a different um, trail digging crew or volunteering with Trash Free Trails or something really cool that's related to your riding, but it doesn't have to be performance focused. Absolutely. Yeah, you're totally right. And that sense of community and connection is really important to people in life. Isn't That's a human thing. And there are so many ways to do that around mountain biking. But I think if you're thinking about performance, because lots of people do, don't they, actually? And that's an amazing thing also to think about performance is to really try and break 
it down. So get, give yourself the big goal for the year or the six months or whatever, but then really breaking it down into small chunks makes it achievable. So you're not trying to hit that goal straight away of being able to, I don't know, race in bloody elite or whatever it is. Um, uh, you're breaking it down and making a journey towards that because otherwise it seems insurmountable. It feels like a mountain, whereas if you break mm. it down into small hills, it becomes much more achievable. Yeah, definitely. And and on that theme, you know, we set we tend to have this tradition of setting goals for a whole year. What's the benefit of perhaps breaking that down into a month, couple of months, weeks even? Yeah, or even seasonally. I quite like doing it seasonally. So I'll do spring, summer, autumn, winter. Because actually Ooh. I am not out in the winter for hours on the trail riding my enduro bike. No, thank you very much. I'll go out for short sessions or go out to the skate park or whatever. So actually you can yeah break it down into smaller chunks and it might be monthly, it might be quarterly, it might be seasonally, whatever. Um, but maybe having that as a tick list. We love a tick list as a human race, don't we? We love <laughs> That. Love a tick list. So maybe yeah. I, I do it on a big A3 sheet of paper and I break it down into quarters for the year and I put some small goals in each one that will lead me towards that bigger goal because then it's not relentless as well. If you're relentlessly striving to do one thing, that can be really hard work. Mm. Whereas if you're achieving something every month or quarter, it's like, boom, tick in the box. That's my reward because we love rewards as humans, don't we? We, we do. love that feeling of progression. And that's amazing. So yeah, if you can break it down into those chunks, makes it more manageable, more doable. And you're getting that fix, that quick, that instant gratification that we all like mm. comes from that tick in the box, doesn't it? Yeah, that's that's a really good way of looking at it. That'll be me at the end of quarter one when I've absolutely cleared route manoeuvres. Yes. I'll be like, right, where are the blacks? I can't <laughs> wait to see it on social. That'll be amazing. And if it doesn't happen, it's okay because it can move into the next quarter then, can't it? Marvellous. So what about if people have set goals in the past and they haven't quite met them? What do you think that it is that stops people achieving their goals? Another brilliant question that I probably don't have the whole answer to, to be honest. But it's probably a multitude of things, isn't it? It can be... Um, lack of support, could be lack of equipment, lack of people often cite time, don't they, as a thing. I didn't have enough time to practice. Mm. Well, actually, my thought around that is you maybe didn't have enough energy for it or passion or motivation, perhaps, and you need to find that hook that's going to get you in there. The other thing that I quite, uh, I think is really relevant for a lot of people is that thing we talked about at the start where you push yourself to this massive goal and it can it can seem too too hard. So there's a bit of a theory um, from education and from sport that's um, by a guy called Vygotsky. I can't remember his first name, but that's fine. I probably couldn't pronounce it either, which is about comfort zone. So he talks about the comfort zones in the middle. It's a circle in the middle and there's a circle outside of that, like a, like a bullseye on a, um, a dartboard that's called the zone of proximal development sounds rather flash wow. doesn't it and then there's a further zone outside of that that's like the danger zone where you might die so comfort zone is all about yeah we're all right we're on our blues and reds we're fine on those non-techie absolutely marvelous that zone of proximal development you can get into which is where progress happens mm. so you push yourself out of your comfort zone slightly but you do it with the help of someone who's good at it already yeah. so it might be a coach it might be your friend it might be your partner they support you to do that. And therefore, your comfort zone gets bigger. It expands. But I think a lot of people give up because they haven't got that specialist support or that friend that's going, yeah, come on, we'll go out today and we'll nail that and I'll show you how to do it. I think some people just need that little helping hand and that bit of experience and bit of support to be able to do it. And then your comfort zone gets bigger. And then next year it gets even bigger. And by the end of it, you're racing downhill with Laurie Greenland. And it's marvellous. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So there's something to be said for having those people if you don't have them already, whether it's like a local cycling club that will take you under their wing on Absolutely. a club run or some mates in the mountain biking world that will take you down something that's just a bit 
out of your comfort zone, but not some black rampage yeah, line or something. So yeah, don't go Red Bull <laughs> Rampage on the first outing would be my suggestion for sure as a safety caution. But yeah, pushing yourself with some support is a surefire way, scientifically proven, to make progress. And it, I mean, it seems um, totally ludicrous not to know that, doesn't it? But so many of us just go out and keep hacking away at mm. things, seeking out a friendly club or a or British cycling or whoever who can help you with that is amazing. And right. it, you will reap the rewards of that. And what about having an accountability partner for some of these goals? Is that something that you've ever used in the past? hundred percent. And I think it's a brilliant idea. And it sounds, oh, it sounds so cheesy, doesn't it? Oh, let's get an accountability <laughs> partner. What does that mean? Well, all it means is you're both, I wouldn't say guiding, you're supporting or prompting each other to have a conversation about what your goals are regularly. So I've um I went on a like a weekend retreat about three or four years ago and they set us up with an accountability group. And in fact, I'm meeting one of them tomorrow for lunch and we're talking about our goals. So three or four years later, Amazing. we're still keeping each other accountable. And it's that kind way of someone saying, have you done it yet? And actually they're saying, have you done it yet? I'd like to celebrate that with you. So I think it's a brilliant idea. Mm. And there are so many people out there who would love that. But as humans, and particularly I'm going to, be so bold to say British people we don't like putting our vulnerabilities out there sometimes mm. and going I really need some help but everybody will connect with you if you do that so I think sharing your vulnerabilities about your goals is a really good idea as well definitely it's something that I've found myself doing in the past if there's a goal that you want to set yourself and it's really scary I share it because then I have to do it because I've said I'm going to do it. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Get it out there on social yeah. or tell someone. Obviously, don't say you're going to go and climb Mount Everest naked or something because that's <laughs> daft. But yeah, definitely do get it out there. And sometimes I think verbalising it makes it a little bit more manifestable. So I don't know if anyone believes in that stuff. But if you believe that something's going to happen, some people believe you're manifesting mm. it and you're seeing it happen. So it's more likely to come true and verbalising it's the first step towards that, isn't it? Yeah. So I think that's a great shout. Yeah. Nice. But what happens if... You've gone out and told everyone that you're going to do Land's End to John O'Gross or GB Jura or some like massive thing. You're going to race part of the EWS yeah. as a privateer or something like really, really amazing. And then you get an injury or something happens in your personal life, which means that you can't do these things. And there's this huge goal that you've been mm -hmm. working towards and slaving away over a turbo or something for months. How do you deal with that disappointment? That's a really good question. It's quite a personal thing, I think, mm. isn't it? So whenever I set a goal, I always try and really clearly define what that what I'm scared about, what could go wrong, what are the barriers. So it could be that I might be injured or it could be that I'm not brave enough or I haven't got the time or whatever. Then I think about how I can mitigate those circumstances. So how can I try and make that, that fear or that bad thing that could happen as small as possible and as risk-free as possible? But then I also think about if that does happen, what am I going to do to repair it? How am I going to fix that? So for me personally, it's about being honest and that's the worst thing, isn't it? Putting it out there, putting it out there on Facebook or Instagram to go, oh my God, I've not been able to do this. But expressing why and mm. thinking also about does that really, did it really matter to you? If it did, you can try again normally. And if it didn't matter to you, maybe you had the wrong goal in the first place and that's why you didn't achieve it. Mm. So yeah. I, th I think there's a bit about, there's learning from everything, isn't there? And actually just because you fail once doesn't mean you're going to fail again. It just means you can keep trying. And actually, they've proven, again, scientifically through research, that you learn the most through failure. As yeah. awful as it is and as stabby in the heart as it is, but it's a good thing to happen for your long-term development.
But yeah, share it with friends as well. Get a glass of wine or a cup of tea and share the failure with friends and kind of talk it through. Don't keep it all in your mind would be my other thing. Mm. Make sure you get it out there because it can stay, can't it? And it can become that voice that says, you can't do it again. You can't do it again. So yeah, share it with friends, I would say as well. That's a really, yeah, really interesting way of looking, especially at failure, because it's wrapped up as this big, black, scary, negative Mm -hmm. thing in our lives. And, you know, for most of us, mountain biking or cycling or any sort of exercise is just fun. It's a way of releasing. Mm -hmm. It's a hobby, something to do on the side. And I think I've certainly found myself doing this in the past, but you can take things like this a bit too seriously. Yeah. So being able to check in, maybe change your goal, because just because you've set a goal doesn't mean it's the perfect one for you. No. You can revise it. Tim it down, big it up. A hundred percent. And there's a there's an amazing book. It's something like how to how to not be wrong. And really, it's teaching you that that you you can fail, and that's okay to fail. And it might be that you've just failed at the wrong thing. You picked the wrong thing to start with. I think the other thing is around um, making it um, like relative. You know, it's all relative. So actually, me not being able to do GBU, nobody's died. Everyone's mm. still okay. Everyone's alive, and I can try again. So it's about rationalising it a little bit against the grander things in life. As yeah. long as you're still healthy, happy, and you can try again, then it's not a huge failure. So, yeah, there's something about that. It's, it will hurt at the time, but when you step back and look at it on the scale of the universe, it's not yeah. the most awful thing. But that can be hard to do when you're in it emotionally. Yeah. And I suppose even just setting a goal in the first place, you're opening yourself up to the chance that you might fail. So perhaps that's part of why it feels so great when you do achieve those. I think you're so right because you've laid yourself bare, haven't you? You've put your vulnerabilities on the line and said, I want to try this, but I can't do it at the moment Mm. and I'm going to give it a go. So yeah, I bet that's why it's so powerful at the end when you do achieve it, which we will achieve them this year, Catherine. I'm convinced (laughs) of it. I think we should be each other's accountability buddies for learning to jump and route manoeuvres. I'm I'm (laughs) cool with that. Absolutely. I might not try route manoeuvres, but (laughs) we'll give it a bash. (laughs) So when you get to the end of the year or whatever the term of your goal setting was, whether it's a couple of weeks, a couple of months, and you've achieved your goal and you're absolutely buzzing, what do you do then? Is it straight on to the next thing? Do you take some time to reflect? What would you recommend? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it can often feel like a bit of an anticlimax, can't it? When you have done um, Land's End to John O'Groats and you're like, yes, I'm amazing and I'm awesome. You kind of go back to normal life, don't you, sometimes? Or you go back to your normal everyday riding. So I think there's something um, around taking some time to reflect and uh, celebrating what you've just done and working out a little bit about yourself um, in relation to that. So you might reflect on how determined you were in your training plan, which bits didn't work for you so you can avoid them next time. And, And then maybe using that new knowledge about you and your approach to plan another goal for the following year. So you kind of keep that motivation up, but you take that pause to reflect and celebrate. Because I think as humans, like we said before, you're always on for the next thing, aren't you? More, 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 more. But if you take that pause and celebrate and reflect, that can be a really useful thing for your learning for the next goal. Mm, I think that's so valid. And (laughs) this is quite a funny story. Um, Anecdote of mine from last year. I ended up going and riding the Torino-Nice rally, which was eight days across Italy and France on the most incredible route with 25 women. It was just incredible and very tough because I'm not a born climber. (laughs) And there were 10 alpine Just a few little hills, yeah. Yeah, it was really (laughs) tough. And like in the mornings, I'd typically get up and start before everybody else so that They'd catch me up on the climb and then we'd end up summiting together and doing the descent, which was the best bit, obviously. But when we got to the end of that in Nice, 
of course, you had sort of like a small anticlimax in the fact that it's over and you don't want it to be over because it's awesome. But I just felt so sexy because I was just like, my body yeah. is incredible. Yeah. And I'm somebody that struggled with body issues for a long time, but it's just like, this is amazing yeah. that my body's been able to do this. And I've just... Every time now I go through these little self-doubting periods, I have to reflect on that moment and be like, I'm actually just so capable and encapsulate that little burst of feeling. And, and that's an amazing thing to do. And you can actually, there's a, uh, something called NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, where you can grab that moment and anchor it in some way. Mm. So when you're in that moment of celebration or joy or, yes, my God, my body's done this, and it's incredible what the human body can do, isn't it, to capture that. And you can you can kind of anchor it on yourself. So you might it might be that you twiddle your ring and then whenever you go back, you're twiddling your necklace or your bracelet that you've got on when you need wow. that moment of kind of joy again. So there's some anchoring you can do to that feeling and that emotion and take it with you in the rest of your life as well. So, yeah. yeah, I think, oh, that's amazing. What a feeling. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. And then it was just like, oh, back to normal life. Back to, back to normal. <laughs> I'm, I'm still, I've still got an amazing body that can do incredible yeah. things. Yeah. yeah. To hold on to that. And yeah, maybe there's another goal looming, something like that again. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I'm not going to commit to anything on air. <laughs> no, did you see me pushing you there? That was really rude of me. Sorry. <laughs> that's brilliant. Thank you so much for taking the time to come in, Joe. It's been really, really insightful. My absolute it. pleasure. And those questions are amazing. So thank you. Right. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you get some sick air at Ramp oh, World and beyond. <laughs> absolutely guaranteed yeah, it's going to happen. <laughs> we're now going to chat to a few more riders about their upcoming targets for the year ahead. I'm joined by Shu Islam, a lawyer, road cyclist, club member of Hub Velo and Cannondale Ambassador in London, who's an active advocate for getting more women and Muslim riders on bikes. Last September, Shu rode 500 kilometres from London to Paris for charity, which looked absolutely awesome. I'm also joined in the studio by Felix Smith. For those of you familiar with the Bike Radar YouTube channel, you'll know that Felix gets stuck into all sorts of disciplines, from hill climbs to gravel races. But I think it's fair to say that his heart lies in long-distance cycling, having taken on some challenging routes over the last few years, including the Transatlantic Way and bikepacking the length of Japan. Thank you both for joining us. How are you doing? Cheers, Catherine. Yep, very good. Just had a pizza, so I'm feeling a little bit tired. (laughs) Great to be here. Hey, you. Yeah, I've I've not done anything like this before, so I'm trying to get my head round. Like, is this how people make podcasts? Like, I've not had to do anything like this before. So, um, Shu, why don't you kick us off? What goals have you got lined up for this year ahead? Um, for me, uh, I have a few that I would like to achieve, but I had sort of agreed at the tail end of last year that I was going to do Ride Across Britain, basically the, the Deloitte Lands End to John O'Groats. Awesome. Uh, which is, what, 980 miles or something like that. I try not to look <laughs> at the numbers. And I guess for me, it's just like a, again, bucket list, trodden path, uh, you know, route that most cyclists kind of try to say it's right of passage or something. So that's what I'd like to do in September. And then I guess I've got lots of things leading up to that and I'm trying to do more sort of longer rides and I think we spoke earlier about wanting to ride from London to Cheddar Gorge yes literally because when I got my my last bike I got driven to Cheddar Gorge by uh, the people at Cannondale and I thought okay this is this time I don't want to be driven there maybe I can (laughs) ride there (laughs) 
it's it's like a 130 miles or something. So I wonder rides like that. But I think cycling in Girona just before Christmas was something for me to say, wow, like, oh, if you can figure out how to put your bike in a box, there's like so many other roads, not just like, you know, routes in the UK that you can do. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping to cycle in Jordan um, wow. in April. And uh, the reason I was thinking about going to Jordan is because it's Ramadan like during April Mm -hmm. and I kind of wanted to be in a Muslim country, but then I also wanted to do some like nice riding. So I used to live in Dubai and I've done all the like the flat riding in Dubai and everybody kept saying, oh no, no, you should go to Dubai. And my point is like, I feel that when I have, the first time I ever went on a road bike was in the Al Qudra track in Dubai. Yeah. And I felt like, oh, it's almost like when you don't know anything about cycling, it's incredible and you're like oh yeah this is the best cycling experience I've ever had and I said to my friend it's a bit like going to a nice hotel but you've not been to a five-star hotel so you don't know you don't know what to compare it to (laughs) and when I went to Girona I was like that's my five-star hotel I've had like such a rich experience I don't think I could go back to like doing 100k of flat cycling every day Mm. um so that's why I saw Jordan and I saw like loads of um pictures on Instagram because they have a yearly race which is from the Dead Sea to the Red Sea yeah and it's about 200 kilometers it's not very flat in Jordan but (laughs) I've I found a contact there and I thought why not if me and my bike can go there so it's just for me trying to like build in like things that will help have a sense of adventure but know that I've got an end goal Mm. in mind um and then also I am planning to so when you mentioned earlier about doing London to Paris I was actually doing it in memory of my dad and Mm. he passed away nearly three years ago and so around the summer solstice is when my dad passed away so I'm hoping to do um 24 hour Paris then because I'll have like the longest day of the year <laughs> to do it in 24 wow. hours and like I've got a plan I've got a route I've got like pretty much everything apart from the Eurostar back booked yeah. and I guess you've done your recce already yeah it's just it's just well no because I I went via Calais last time and oh, okay. I go via Dieppe this time <laughs> nice so that yeah that's I think a slightly quicker route it's, or a, it's, it's a shorter route it's yeah. about 300k via uh, Dieppe and it's about 500 going via Calais. So no, there's like lots of things in the calendar that I'm trying to build up so that I feel strong enough in September. Mm. I guess for me, my biggest concern is that I never had asthma before last October. Okay. And it's kind of been a bit problematic to do long rides. I just get really out of breath and Mm. wheezy and like the hills are the worst. So I'm like trying to work with a personal trainer and with um, like a coach to try and like help work towards getting me back to kind of the fitness that I had last year. And I know that's not impossible because like half the peloton have asthma. So I don't think (laughs) it'd be an issue to like get me back up to speed. It's just been a bit difficult um, the last few months because it's so cold. Yeah, and that definitely has an impact, right? Yeah, and I'm hoping to just use the trainer a bit more as well to get me up to fitness, but it's not the same as being outside. So you've got this amazing goal next September, this Land's End to John O'Groats, and the format of that is so cool because there's so many people doing it with you, and but then all these little sort of stepping stone goals along the way to help you build up not only your physical fitness, but also your confidence, right, and your mental capability around that. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, so when I was posting stuff about goals and things, it wasn't just about the cycling. 
um, I part of why I did the level two Sigma mechanic course was to ensure that if I have a mechanical and I'm stuck on the side of the road and even if like I'm on a supported ride, I kind of know what to do to help me get back on the road. That might be the difference between like having to get on a train and not having to get on a train and things like that. Mm. So how can I best equip myself not just the training and the, you know, gym work or whatever. What else can I do to empower me to do these long endurance rides? Yeah, and I think that's something that people really often overlook is that it's not just like your aerobic capacity or being able to ride and just keep going. It's it's all the other things like Jack was saying the other day about making sure you keep eating or having the mechanical skills and and having the mental resilience or the confidence that you can do these things is so underrated or mm. undervalued. You're nodding along, Felix. Is that something that <laughs> you can uh, relate to from your long-distance cycling exploits? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think the big draw of long-distance cycling isn't it's everything else other than the kind of, testing yourself physically of course but it's the the other aspects that I really like as well Mm. and obviously kind of if you want to do do well at an event or be proud of what you've done then yeah you can't really forget about those bits in the training aspect Mm, absolutely how did you find the mechanics course out of interest it was really good. I, I did like a whole video review about it because I kept getting so many questions like, oh, mm. you know, how much is it? Where did you do it? Was it by yourself and stuff like that? I think for me, it was a bit like intimidating when I walked in and it was all men. There was literally mm-hmm. no women in the course. It just almost seemed like, OK, no women want to learn how to fix their bikes. <laughs> but actually for me, I quickly realized that even though it was quite technical, everything that was being demonstrated or talked about, like I actually knew what they were talking about. Mm. I knew that not all, if you have like rim brakes, you don't need to think about hydraulic disc brake bleed and all that jazz because it doesn't like apply to you. So it was kind of like for me, knowing my own specific intentions that it's more to like speed up mechanicals, on long endurance rides and it's also because I want to feel a bit more confident sort of taking my bike apart or putting it back together say like on a bike box and I'm I'm traveling with my bike and something's gone wrong and I might be in Jordan I need to like know that I might not be near a bike shop and you know how am I going to deal with the fact that I'm not next to a bike shop does that mean that I can take that extra derailleur hanger or, you know, what kind of like spare parts, you know, beyond an inner tube, like what can I take extra (laughs) that's going to enable me to do these rides if there's not a bike shop available, stuff like that. Whereas I think I gave the impression that I was doing the course because I wanted to be like a home mechanic. Mm. I kind of see it as like, and this is a bad analogy, but I can paint my own nails, but I still go to the shops and get my manicure done by someone else, okay? Because for me, that, that's, <laughs> that's far more efficient, analogy. right? <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's like a luxury. It's, it's like a treat. And if I can pay my local mechanic to do a service for me or to, to check things for me, why am I going to bring chemical substances into my house to do a brake bleed? Or why am I going to start saying, I'm going to, I'm going to start building wheels? <laughs> that's, not, that's not the kind of thing that I, I want to do. It's, it's just more about me being self-sufficient. Yeah, definitely. Not because I necessarily want to be, but because sometimes situ- in situations you have to be. And I just remember when I was trying to put my bike in the box after, when I was uh, coming back from Girona, and just those pedals would not come off oh. and it's like 
it's 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 like I'm certain that if I hadn't underestimated the time that it would take me to take my bike apart, I wouldn't have had to take a taxi to the airport. It's like I've just spent an extra hundred twenty-seven pounds to Yikes. get to Barcelona, <laughs> which which wouldn't have happened yeah. if I wasn't faffing with my bike, right? Yeah. So it's just it's just like all these like very pragmatic things. It's not mm. it's not because I want to somehow I don't know go and work for a bike team and be their mechanic. No, I just, I just want to get my stuff done enough to get to the next thing. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. I had an absolute nightmare once. A friend and I um, had a little winter break in Barcelona. We got out there. Um, my bike was relatively new, fabulous carbon bike that I've been saving up for for ages. And I wasn't confident enough to rebuild my bike. So I asked my friend Rob to do it. And he over-tightened the steerer and completely sheared the bolt, <laughs> which was an instant game over. Thankfully, there was a bike hire place, so I managed to get a bike on hire for a few days rather than ride my own. But it was um, a good lesson in, you know, just like basic things of how to put your bike together can prevent something horrible like that happening. <laughs> yeah, and then at least, like, if something goes wrong, you can blame yourself and not someone else. Like, wh- whatever it is, over-tightening this, that or the other, it happened because I did it, not because my friend did it, right? Yeah. And as much as we'd like to avoid these sorts of things, they are learning experiences. And I'm sure that lots of people will be listening to this thinking... Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that time I did that with my home mechanics. Probably not going to go and do it again, are they? <laughs> yeah, I've been there. I'm nodding. <laughs> <laughs> so, Felix, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've got planned for this year or your cycling goals? Mm, sure. Okay. Well, this year's not... I haven't got that, like, one big, great, you know, cool thing that I've got planned yet uh yet but <laughs> i say that because I, I usually get roped into something <laughs> at bike radar so I've, I've no doubt something will, will great will pop up um but on the short term i've got myself a little solo weekend away Ooh. in mid wales uh very indulgent but you know you've got to do these Sounds things great. for yourself sometimes haven't you? cambrian mountains uh yeah yeah it's gonna i've kind of found a little airbnb place which is not far from Brian, which is a beautiful Oof. reservoir yeah, quite remote, um, beautiful riding. In fact, we've done quite a few video shoots out that way. Mm. So I've been behind a camera watching people ride these amazing oh, no. roads. <laughs> and it all looks absolutely incredible. So, yeah, it's not now my chance to kind of go out and ride there. And Fabulous. What kind of bike are you taking? So I'm going to take my Kendall Synapse, which I actually ended up buying. It was a test oh. bike. Um so that's, you know, that says something. Um, I do enjoy it. <laughs> but um, I think I'll be taking two wheel sets because one of my routes takes me along the Elan Valley. Yeah. I think that's how you say it. Ellen, yeah, Elan. Elan yeah. Valley. Yeah. All um, the reservoirs. Absolutely stunning. Yeah. I've yeah. heard a lot about this. And Great there's a cafe. gravel. Oh, is it? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was going to say, it's, it's, I'm probably taking more than I can, you know, biting off more than I can chew with this route. So cafes are... Yeah, there's a great cafe Village. at the Visitor Centre in uh, Elan Village, I think. Yeah, Great to know. But also great, great gravel tracks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And a fabulous bothy. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, so I, I, I'm going to bring a different wheel set with some meteor tyres for that one. But yeah, it'll just be like two big days of riding, really. Nice. So that's nice. the sort of short term, oh, you know, just looking forward to that. So Shu, you've got lots of goals and sort of these milestones throughout the year. You did mention before that you have a coach involved. Do you have another, other people in your support network to help you get through those things? 
Um, so for me, I've worked with a couple of different coaches um, since I've started cycling. And then the one thing that I was looking for this time, actually two things, I guess one of them Felix won't be able to relate to you, I'm sorry. But the, <laughs> the, 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 the first one was, I realised that a lot of these training plans are online. So you've got training peaks or today's plan or Strava or whatever. Yeah. And then you're just churning out numbers. And my coach is never seeing how I ride and my skills or anything like that. Mm. And one thing that I did in Girona is because I didn't really know anyone. I didn't have anyone to ride with. I paid for like a guide with Roka Corba Cycling. Nice. So when, when, when the climbs, I mean, going up was fine, but coming down some of those technical descents, mm. I was really scared because I've crashed a couple of times. And just having someone help me with my cornering, with my technique and riding with me and can see those anxieties is so much different to me doing a ride, uploading it to Strava or whatever. And then no one even knows that I was anxious on that descent they've just seen like the numbers and yeah. I and I thought oh I can't pay someone just to fiddle with my numbers and like increase my FTP or something like that's not what I want I just want to be a better rider so um I found someone who has agreed that they'll meet me like once a month even if it's just that one ride to kind of help me improve some of my more technical skills and stuff and then secondly it was really important for me because I never really appreciated until I started doing these long rides how being a woman and your period just started out, starting out of nowhere <laughs> and like not knowing what to do with that yeah. and yeah especially to Paris I felt like giving up I was like I can't carry on with this <laughs> because I just didn't like anticipate it and stuff like that and yeah. I guess I want to work with someone who understands like tra training with a woman and like all the other things that get in the way of that yeah absolutely. and so um, I have found someone um, she's actually on a training camp in Spain right now but I'm hoping that that will really help me because I'm not really interested in my numbers mm. and also, I've done a lot of research myself in terms of speaking to cycling coaches and stuff about my asthma. And I said, you know what? I used to always get picked on for having low cadence. And now it's even lower. And like, <laughs> I just don't know what to do to improve it. And then I was told, actually, it's very normal for people with asthma to have low cadence. Because say if, and I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, because I'm kind of regurgitating things that I've been told, yeah. that if you're just like, normal person without asthma and they say oh increase your cadence so you put more uh, strain on your cardiovascular system so that your muscles aren't as fatigued because you're doing multi-day rides right that would make sense but then when you have asthma you're putting extra strain when you're already having trouble breathing so then that's why even my new like my physio is saying that I should do more work in the gym to like counter that and I just feel like these nuances you're not really told about mm -hmm. and I, I so I guess for me it's coach plus physio plus people that can help me get back to a place where I don't feel so fatigued or I don't feel I say I'm not obsessed with numbers but I still feel disappointed if I'm a lot slower or like I'm tired after like 30k instead of doing 50k I'm like yeah. how the hell am I gonna do like big long rides if I'm like so tired all the time mm. I feel like just having that support system to get me back to where I was is important yeah. 
I think it's important to remember, though, it, we are also coming out of the winter and you mentioned earlier about the cold weather triggering the asthma and a lot of us, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, basically been in hibernation this winter <laughs> because it's been so grim out there um, and very unfit at the moment. But as soon as the sun starts coming out and it warms up a bit, like I know I'm going to be back out there um, putting in a few more miles and hopefully getting some of that fitness back as well. I had a gorgeous ride last weekend when it was really sunny and a bit of a shocker as well because I was down in Devon with my folks and it was so hilly and I was so out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, when the spring comes around, mm. I'm sure we'll all be, you know, back on it. It would be perhaps unreasonable to expect to keep that sort of summer level of fitness year, all year round um, mm. without having to put a lot of work in. I, I yeah I think most a lot of people well I think a lot of people I've spoken to anyway have maybe got a bit ill during the autumn yeah. se season last year and I certainly did mm. um, and then it kind of really put me into it oh actually it's not important to be hill climb fit it's important for me <laughs> to just be a bit healthier not to overdo things so yeah um, yeah yeah coming into spring I think uh, you know if we, if we're looking at overall goals it's one thing for me is to not overdo it and uh, be able to ride it out without any injuries or, you know, getting ill, that kind of thing. Yeah, interesting. When you say about not overdoing it as well, I was coached a few years ago when I was training for a big um, endurance event, Unbound in the US, which is really, really, really cool event. Would recommend it to anyone who's a gravel nut. When I was training for that, the thing that my coach actually said was that I needed to do less rather than more. Wow. Which was, which felt mad but um, made a lot of sense at the time. Just quickly, yeah, that, sure. that's a thought that's come to mind, which I didn't do um, last year, but I wish I had, is like, if I know that I'm going to cycle from London to Dover in order to get pa to Paris, I don't have to do the whole ride, but I can familiarise myself from the London to Dover bit. Um, similarly, I was thinking before September, going up to the Peak District, kind of just like mapping out places that I might find a little bit difficult mm. um, that I can practice on, like climb. Because that's what my friend did when she did Le Jog. She literally just did those climbs again and again before she did the ride. And yeah. I feel like sometimes people don't think like that. They think, oh, I'm just going to stay in Essex and I'm just going <laughs> to do like the same. And the thing is, I don't know what, I mean, my everyone in my club is from Essex, but... I don't want to say anything that will offend anyone, but they literally think that the hills in Essex compare to like other hills saying, because I've been to the Peak District or say you go via Kent to Dover. They're not the same. They're mm -hmm. absolutely not the mm -hmm. same. <laughs> so so why would you try and train on, on those hills when they're not the hills you're going to be doing when you're doing your actual ride? Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. And it's something that I think we're seeing more and more um, ultra endurance athletes doing a lot more of. If they're doing like a transcontinental kind of ride, you see people doing little trips to go and recce certain parts of the route. Not only so that you can get a bit of local knowledge and sort of find out what the roads are like or where the cafes or potential bivvy spots might be, but also for that training on the sorts of terrain that you're actually going to encounter. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine you know, having one of your biggest days ever and then having to face a hill that you've never seen before and it's really daunting. And <laughs> Sometimes it's best not enough. to know. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, there's that too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, some of those vertical climbs in Kent, like, yeah. 
you just don't get in Essex. Like, yeah. you know, people are like, oh, what's really hard? Is Mott Street hard? I could probably do Mott Street with my eyes closed. Now, that's not me being cocky. It's just that I do it all the time. Yeah, so yeah. it doesn't feel particularly hard. It's not the same as some of the really steep hills in Kent that mm. if you've never done, you're kind of just going to be a little bit stuck. I think when you do your ride from London to Cheddar Gorge, you should extend your trip and come down to the southwest for Devon and Cornwall because it's pretty <laughs> hilly down there. And a lot of people that do Land's End to John O'Groats, I think, say that Cornwall especially is some of the trickiest. Mm. It's just so steep. Just a small detour. Not to put you off. <laughs> just a small detour down. She. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but also gorgeous. I mean, I mean, I would. I just don't know if you know how how I'll feel after doing 130 40 miles yeah. from London to Cheddar Gorge because <laughs> it's not like I live on the outskirts it's not like I live in Slough or anything I actually live sort of where the Velo Park is yeah where the Olympics happened awesome. so I live in like a completely different part of of London that's not that adds a few more miles but we have thought about staying in a hotel and then riding back so oh my gosh. That you you start to get used to that that multi-day riding feel. Absolutely, because it's not just like we said earlier, it's not just your aerobic fitness, but also just the physical adaptations. Getting your ass used to being sat on a saddle for mm. day after day <laughs> with these long distance rides, multi-day rides. And I think that's, you know, half of it that kind of preparation that you can do for these sorts of goals to make sure that they do end up being as comfortable and as enjoyable as possible. Yeah, and learning how to have a good night's sleep. Like, I think for me, it's really hard to switch off. And my friend was saying um, in La Jog, she didn't take a very good sleeping mat. And it was just like that little thing mm. that was giving her like a rubbish night's sleep every night for like nine nights. Like, <laughs> you know, it, it's that little thing, like, you're just going to feel rubbish all day because you haven't slept. And yeah. then it's like not enjoyable. Yeah, I've got a mate... Um who I always take the mickey out of because he swears by this tiny little inflatable travel pillow whenever he goes bikepacking. <laughs> and he's not a very, like, he's quite a, sh- a short um, guy anyway, so he doesn't have a huge amount of space on his bike for bikepacking kit and luggage, but his one priority item is this tiny little pillow that I think he got on, free on a flight somewhere on <laughs> a travel lodge or something. <laughs> little luxuries that can make all the difference. Well, thank you both very much for joining us. Um, wishing you all the best with your goals this year. Hoping to see some more from you, Felix, and really looking forward to seeing how you're getting on shoot. We'll have to ride out of Bristol to Cheddar to come and meet you and celebrate your uh, epic ride down to the gorge. <laughs> you're more than welcome. Do you like cheese, Shu? Sorry? Do you like cheese? Cheese? I love cheese. Great. Well, you're coming to the right place, to Cheddar. We'll, we'll meet, meet you there for a cheese sandwich or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's a rite of passage. When you cycle to Cheddar, you have to have a cheese sandwich. <laughs> I want a cheese board. I want, I want a board. <laughs> I think you'll deserve Hackers. a few. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bike Radar.